It's Jared Waitley. Thanks for listening to the podcast. In this episode, Super Bowl week officially launched in Las Vegas. Brendan Gale joined me as Richmond and Collingwood launched the charity Shield. Alistair Nicholson, after Premiership coach Craig McRae addressed the AFL Commission. We met Brad Sugars, an expat Aussie in Vegas. And Adam Hill gave us the history lesson about sport in Sin City. Plus Ian Smith with an eye toward New Zealand and Australia next month. You can get in touch at any time. Waitley at sen.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. Good morning. Super Bowl week has officially opened in Las Vegas. Without a word of a lie, they rolled out Wayne Newton to do the honours. Mr. Las Vegas, Wayne Newton. It could barely have been more weekend at Bernie's if they tried. The mantra is that sport and entertainment come together in this city like nowhere else, and this is the climactic moment. It's an entirely justifiable boast by the feel of things. The history here is worth recounting. There was a time not too long ago when the NFL wouldn't accept Las Vegas tourism ads in the Super Bowl coverage because of the connotations with gambling. The sporting body didn't want Vegas dollars in even the most sanitised and seemingly harmless form. Now the whole event is here. It must be the most crystallising example how times have changed between sport and gambling. And we'll tell you that story. The backstory is, is remarkable. We'll tell you that as the morning unfolds. We went to the Sphere last night. It really is one of the wonders of the modern technological world. The orb is mesmerising to stare at from the outside, even if it does draw some ridicule as the world's most elaborate billboard. And incidentally, it costs $2 million this week to feature on the Vegas skyline there. Inside, so there's a futuristic atrium where you're greeted by five AI-powered robots named Aura. They look better than any science fiction robot clones you've ever seen. The facial and hands are eerily human. They carry on conversations, they answer questions, and they apply deductive reasoning. We were standing next to a guy wearing his U2 concert T-shirt, and Aura said to Jerry, this is not your first visit here. It was, it was a bit scary, to be honest. The robots are taking over. But the real wonder is the surfaces, both outside and in. So the centrepiece of the Sphere experience last night is the immersive film Postcard from Earth. The 18,000-seat auditorium is engulfed by a 270-degree screen, so all the way around you and up above. It, it, makes, it makes for phenomenal viewing, and it's a supercharged version. If you've been on the Disneyland ride soaring around the world, this is just a supercharged version of that. The cinematic um, photography. So the cinematography creates the illusion of movement, forwards, backwards, up and down, and the seating bays rumble to the sounds of elephants and storms and rockets. It has any number of signature moments, gliding over the most awesome landscapes on the planet, plunging to the depths of the ocean, where you can actually peer up and look at the sunlight peeping through the water, and then powering into space at the end. It takes you to marketplaces and temples and mines and slums, and as good as any, I reckon, is it's the most subtle scene in the 50-minute film. It captures an expectant audience in an old-world recital hall staring at us, a captive audience watching back. And it's cleverly held in silence just long enough to appreciate the joke. The film tells the story of life on Earth and mankind's place in it, 
it becomes a fable of exhausting the planet's resources and our future and necessary departure for new worlds. It, the, the one kicker, it's hard not to miss the irony that you're watching this film and it's messaging in a building that surely represents the height of consumerism. But let's not dwell for too long on that. The whole thing is brilliant, stunning, and a must for any trip to Vegas. And it does whet the appetite for you too on Wednesday night. So tales from Vegas as we make our way through the week. I've loved hearing yours. 0433 98 11 16. 1300 736 736. And the long form stories which have made me laugh. Waitley at sen.com.au. Today we'll meet Brad Sugars. He's an expat Aussie who has been in Vegas since 2005. He's the founder of Action Coach International, which now has 1,200 franchises in 80 countries. So what's life like for Brad here in Vegas after, well, the best part of 20 years? And we'll tell you the story of the Las Vegas Golden Knights, how they cracked the market here and how the way was paved for professional sport and just how hypercharged that is right now, which leads us to this Super Bowl. So that's ahead. Let's start with things that are happening at home. So first we adapted the idea of Magic Round from the NRL and turned it into Gather Round. Now we're borrowing the Charity Shield, which has long been staged between the Rabbitohs and the Dragons and bringing it to the AFL preseason. I wonder what year we'll play games here in Vegas. Richmond will announce during the course of our morning that its preseason match against Collingwood will take on a greater meaning, confirming the report on the back page of today's Herald Sun. This year, that's Tuesday night, February 27 at Icon Park, the opening to the single round of formal pre-season matches. It's a clever idea, I think, to attempt to attach some meaning, and given the power of the two clubs, it'll be a boon for the designated charity. It'll be the first televised game of the season on Fox Footy, so you can build a sense of event about it, and given how we're typically craving footy by then, you could easily imagine it drawing a decent enough crowd. It does somewhat contradict the direction that we've been heading with the preseason, which seems to have leaned toward phasing it out. There was a time we'd have already started the four-round preseason cup, but that's a bygone era. It goes strongly to Dwayne's point yesterday that February is being wasted. But weirdly... There were so many objections to opening round, which gives us the real stuff a week earlier than normal, and those objections didn't make any sense to me at the time, and we'll be incredibly grateful when the ball is bounced on March 7 rather than having to wait another week. My, my preference my preference is for no formal preseason matches. Nurture the sense of mystery. It'll drive the co- coaches nuts. And any space in the calendar that the, the AFL wants to claw back, do it with the matches that truly matter. Ultimately, you'll decide whether these things work. Is the Charity Shield a good idea? one 736 736 or 433 98 Will the Charity Shield work? Will you support it? one 736 736 Or, a bit like yesterday's conversation, the ODI of yesteryear, are they the pre-season games? An anachronism destined for extinction? one 736 The most tantalising story of the morning is the prospect of Gil McLaughlin as the new chairman of Racing Victoria. Now, what a coup that would be for racing. The best deal-making sports administrator we've known in this country at the helm of a state body desperate to modernise racing but shackled by tradition and self-interest. 
it was it was actually a Hall of Fame trainer, John Hawkes, who first identified the possibility here. And I, I must admit, I couldn't quite see it. Unlike Peter Volandi's position as the unchallenged empresario of Sydney Racing, the chairman of Racing Victoria doesn't have jurisdiction to do what must be done. Volandi's, well, he can do as he pleases. He can make up races. He can ramp up prize money. He can expand field sizes he can even meddle with field composition he has an iron grip on sydney racing and has used it brilliantly at times racing victoria has three different metropolitan clubs with their own self-interest and finances the vrc owns the biggest house on the street the melbourne cup carnival and they're not moving for anybody and just thinking through the way that they've dealt with their TV rights over the years. They've always done what's best for the VRC because that's where they're answerable rather than the industry collectively. There's genuinely no motivation to do otherwise. Could Gill unite Victorian racing and help it see a bold new future? Understanding the way things were organised 140 years ago is not terribly likely to be the best fit for the modern world. You wouldn't put it past him. He's done it with warring parties and state governments before. Or is it a job bound to frustrate, knowing what could be done, but without the power to actually deliver? Whichever way it goes, it, it would be a powerful moment for Victorian racing if it was to unveil Gil McLaughlin as its new figurehead in the days to come. It's all on the table for discussion today and debate. one 736 and 0433981116. The third one day are in Canberra is later this afternoon. India's comprehensive win over England in the second test and we'll touch base with Ian Smith, who's in the broadcast box as New Zealand tramples South Africa. Frank's with me in one turner. Frank, good morning. Yeah, hope you're having a good time over there, Jared. Sounds uh, a great. Uh, I love the place. I've been there a few times, and uh, one of the most memorable times was back in the uh, early 90s when uh, MC Hammer was the uh, the vote on the uh, radio, and we had this car was uh, had a magnificent stereo. And one of the things to do in Vegas, if you've got a souped-up car or a car with a decent uh, stereo system, is to cruise the strip. And um, I don't know if you've had a look at night, you watch all the guys just cruising up and down the strip with their low riders and all souped up utes and everything. They just loved cruising up and down the strip. And we were, we did the uh, cruise with this stereo gun with MC Hammer on it. And uh, we had the windows wound down because it, all the um, guys were walking past and they heard MC Hammer. So we're high-fiving everybody as we're going down the strip. <laughs> it, was, it, it was one of the best. It was like a party just cruising down. Yep. And, uh, and a lot of the Afri- uh, African American guys were dancing, and uh, as we dropped down the road, it was uh, it was a surreal experience. You could only have it in Vegas. What What are you most like about coming here, Frank? Oh, I think just the the, the nightlife, the atmosphere is uh, fantastic. You know, like there's so much to do, so much to see. They have shows all the time, and and also they have. Um, other uh, like um, we're, we're going to come over again to see um, a place, uh, an exhibition called Seema, which is the biggest car um, uh, accessory and parts uh, expo in the world. So we're coming over for that. And if you know any of the car shows, Seema is the place to be uh, at uh, in Las Vegas when they have that. Because if you're a petrol head, it's just a mind-blowing experience. 
That's awesome, Frank. Good on you. Thanks for sharing that with us, your own Vegas story. Uh, I've been sent a few of these, and I'll dot them in as I go. Uh, Jared, last night I revisited National Lampoon's Vegas Vacation, the Hoover Dam Tour, Wayne Newton, Rusty playing craps with a fake ID, Clark blowing the family's spending on blackjack, and, of course, Cousin Eddie drinking a giant frozen daiquiri from an oversized plastic bottle. Hilarious. Enjoy. Block in Ringwood. Who, who knew that National Lampoon's Vegas Vacation was a doco? Hey, Block. Is the cliches of the cliches for a reason? I've seen all of that and only been here three days. Tony's in Belfield on the AFL preseason. Welcome to you, Tony. Good morning, Jared. Uh, a few years ago, on the back of the AFL X experiment, it became pretty clear the AFL wanted to sort of come up with a bit of a gimmick sort of promotion to start of the season and. Myself and a few of my mates thought that the old-fashioned mini Olympics might be the idea, where you have <laughs> Albert Park, like you you have skills-based AFL skills-based uh, track and field events, where you you have longest kick. Could you imagine a four by four hundred relay where you had to bounce the ball twice inside every one hundred meters? Uh, one of them yeah. had to be over two hundred centimeters. One of them has to be a, a brand new recruit. It'd be a great way to uh, sort of learn the skills of some of the players on your list that you wouldn't otherwise know. Yes. Yes. Um, so the Pro Bowl here on the weekend is much less of a competitive game than maybe it once was and much more of a showcase of that sort of thing, Tony. is, Yeah, what, what do we actually want from the preseason? I, I think that's... It's felt to me like it's been phased out. I, I would be totally happy to send clubs in cold. It would drive the coaches nuts. Maybe it's not entirely fair. But if we're going to claw back, let, let's claw back on real games rather than, uh, rather than preseason games. We... Gosh, remember when we used to spend four weeks playing preseason games and building to a trophy at the end? Tony, your footballers' Olympics, oh, that, that's kicked around through a few creative minds. Great to hear. Shane the Courier, surprise, surprise, Jared. The AFL again looking after Victorian clubs with the Charity Shield. It's time the interstate clubs stand up to the AFL and demand marquee games time slots. Uh, it's got nothing to do with the AFL. This is a, an initiative between Richmond and Collingwood to provide some sort of purpose to their game, uh, which I don't think's had any involvement from the AFL other than maybe a, a tick-off. I'm not sure that they'd... I don't know whether the AFL actually wants um, a fixture with great meaning in the preseason. That, that hasn't felt like the trend of it, but, yeah, some greater purpose by the two clubs, and there's nothing stop, cl- stopping clubs from outside Victoria from doing that sort of thing. Darren's in Doreen. Hello, Darren. Hey, Jared. I didn't get time to call you because you wouldn't put us through yesterday for the WWE... Yes. an absolute disgrace. Like, we all love The Rock, don't get me wrong. But as they said, the story's been going on for two years, mate. And Cody, it was Cody's time. And for Cody to step aside like this, it's just it's unbelievable. We just we just can't believe it. And the fans are just, uh, that we've, because we've got tickets to go to uh, the Perth show, We've been yep. robbed because of injuries and everything, and they, they could have had it there for us. It's just unbelievable what's happened there. It's a, it's a travesty. <laughs> and we need to get yeah. there. As you said, get in there. to WWE. Because, yeah, we, we need Cody in there. Darren, I love your passion on the topic. Lucas has texted through. Jared, I need to know if you're going to the WWE WrestleMania press conference on Thursday in Vegas. Please be there and report back. Absolutely, it's my intention to go. I'm pretty sure Hutchie's keen to go as well. So we'll see as I got some, I got a great long form email on that 
encapsulating some of what Darren shared there as well. Uh, 0433981116, 40-winks, temper text, temper, a mattress like no other, and 1300-736-736, the shape of the AFL pre-season. The idea of Gil being in charge, well, being the chairman of Racing Victoria. So that's it that would be quite the turnaround. So Volandis is the CEO of New South Wales Racing and the chairman of the NRL. Gil was the CEO of the AFL. He would be the chairman of Racing Victoria. So they would be, uh, those positions would be at um, juxtaposed against each other perfectly from one sport to the other. And um, what a moment it would be for Racing Victoria if they are able to unveil Gil. I wonder if it would frustrate the hell out of him or whether he'd be able to get things done. The, one of the privileges of uh, winning the premiership is the coach has a session with the AFL Commission and that's been used to great effect uh, over recent years. Craig McRae did that yesterday as the victorious Collingwood coach uh, and he spoke evidently a lot around the work-life balance of the modern coach We'll have that conversation coming up next. Premiership coach Craig McRae today delivered a 90-minute presentation at the commission meeting held at Collingwood, insisting on a stronger work-life balance across the AFL. He says a key to last year's flag. Mitch Cleary on Channel 7 last night. It is one of the privileges of the Premiership coach to get the audience with the commission and plenty have used it to great effect over recent years. The Chief Executive of the AFL Coaches Association is Alistair Nicholson. Alistair, great to have you back on the program. Oh, good day, Jared. What, what do you know around what Craig presented for not only himself and his own club but for the coaching industry more broadly to the commission? Oh, well, I think firstly, as you say, it's, uh, it's actually a really important thing to, to get that face-to-face crossover. And, and so uh, it's very good of the commission for giving the time. There's obviously a couple of new commissioners there with lots of football experience in Andrew Ireland and Matt DeBoer. Um, so, you know, it's something that the senior coaches that go into that take seriously. Um, and in regard to, to Craig, I think... Craig's had such uh, an interesting coaching career. I think people probably see the last sort of 18 months and see the success and everything like that. But the reality is he was an assistant and development coach for, for 17 years before that. So he's as qualified as anyone to come and, and talk candidly about what he thinks around the profession and, and how we can get better. In the work that you've been doing, Alistair, across a few years now behind the scenes, is what do you think the current state of the work-life balance is? So I think it's an area where it's it's starting to... Very much in COVID, it was really thrown around. I think there was always that intensity about the role, but COVID and the soft cap changes was significant for football programs but coaches. And so... What we find is coach mental health is, is still somewhat of a, a challenge and, and something which I know the senior coaches at and also I think that the AFL are, are very focused on going forward. But just how um, the coach is able to get the work-life balance in regard to the remuneration and, and the demanding sort of weekend hours and things. So getting some better balance across all those things is something that's, that's really important from remuneration to work-life balance to then even preparing for life after coaching. So some of those issues will belong to individuals, some to clubs and then some to the league. What, what might the AFL do to 
to lend a hand in this? So I think it's hard not to, to look at what goes into the soft cap. And obviously then you're dealing with things like remuneration levels and, and uh, things like that. I think from a club point of view, that's very much around leave. And then from a coaches association point of view, there's things like professional development as you, as you go through the, the career and, and then also transition. And then probably from an AFL point of view, it's almost sort of pathways in preparation into it, which is probably more underneath who our membership is, but, but how you, you come up into the, the, the coaching game. Did you think the slight increase in the, um, the soft cap spend and the capacity to take some money out of that for the senior coach on a promotional front, uh, were, were those positive, adequate steps or the start of a process you'd like to see continue? Yeah, I think it's the latter. Um, I think what that has offered is a little bit of flex- flexibility for clubs, but it's also some signs that, you know, the AFL has now got their player deal better down, the media deal is done, um, and we're very much through COVID. So for me, it showed some signs that they're looking at, okay, well, how do they address the football program spend? And some of that flexibility that started is is really important um, and because you do have people working at high levels in a high-pressure environment and whether it's you want to retain people like obviously Craig and, and the Collingwood group are keen to do, if, if you've got the ability to do that and a little bit more flexibility, that probably hasn't been what has been the case in the past with the soft cap being quite a punitive sort of measure on, on clubs and football department spend. So I think that's something that we need to continue to to keep talking about with the AFL and and getting feedback from coaches around you know wh- where we think the important areas are and that might be professional development, might be transition out, might be mental health support or whatever that is. The professional development, some of what we're seeing for a few years now, and I don't know. McRae is very much front of mind here. He spent time at Harvard University and there's been a handful of coaches who have been doing that in recent times. How valuable is that proving, do you think, um, for our coaches to be able to do? I think it's absolutely critical and it's critical for, for two reasons. One, because it potentially makes them better at their job right now. But then two, it also then helps them for when the inevitable comes and the coaching career ends. And that may allow them to to move into another role within football, such as a Don Pike or Leon Cameron or someone like that who's made sort of moves into those senior leadership positions, or then be able to transition out into into something else. And I think what I'm find what we find with PD is it's it's from our point of view we give an amount to senior coaches and an amount to assistant development coaches that has been static over time. And I think there's opportunities for not just senior coaches, but particularly that next level of the next level of coaches that are going to step up to be senior coaches. So Craig McRae's just been to Harvard, um, but it's okay. Well, what's who's the next senior coach? Can we get that person to Harvard so that when they step into the role, they've done as much PD as they can and they're as prepared as possible. So I think there's a real opportunity for that sort of next tier to be able to to move more into and do more PD so that when they do get in the, 
the seat, the hot seat as the senior coaches, they're as prepared as they can be. So uh, McRae's been just so open here. He speaks with uh, Andy and Gazy every couple of weeks during a footy season and explores not just what's happening on, on the field but behind. One of his mantras, as you point out, the pathway that he's been through over such a long time is to ensure that his staff do take time off during a week, almost regimented. So he's getting he's not quite as good at it himself, but he insists that uh, those who are working with and for him do so. So that I, it's such a fascinating tension piece, I reckon, for what the senior coach may not be able to do for himself, but what the possibilities, Alistair, are for doing uh, for your for your colleagues and for those under you. Absolutely, and I think there's there's two big issues there, and I think that you know the first one is I, I do think that senior coaches are, are as conscious of, as ever of their their team underneath them, um, just because it's so intertwined these days. Senior coach is so reliant on their coaching group to be able to do what they do, and and that's maybe not understood as much. You know, a lot of the media focus just on the senior coach in pictures and articles and things, but the reality is that team behind them is critical. Um, and then also it's it's just really important um, that just to be able to to have that good relationship and, and, and keep coaches because I think some senior coaches, if um, they've got a good relationship with a, a development or, a, or an assistant coach, they don't necessarily want that person moving off to another opportunity um, because they're sort of burning out or they feel like they need a, need a change. So it makes it, it makes sense and I'm, you know I think Craig is uh, probably in front of the curve in regard to that the success he's had I think is positive um, for the broader coaching industry albeit it is um, it is a it is a tough tough gig that's not getting any easier with equalization and obviously the volatility around contracts the for a period of time so I'm probably talking half a dozen years ago, the AFL, it felt like the AFL blamed coaches for a lot of what was going on with the game. How would you depict the relationship right now between the, the senior coaches and the and league headquarters? Look, we had a, uh, have a, a statistic that we, or a survey that we do, and, and we ask how the coaching groups, and not just the senior coaches, the whole coaching group, feel about uh, whether they're well regarded for the AFL, uh, by the AFL, and that's something that's um, significantly lower than it was pre-COVID. Um, with Andrew Dillon coming into the role, that's something that we've sat down and, and talked at length about. So, look, I think my answer to that is there's there's still some real frustration within the coaching group, you know, predominantly from soft cap change and, and, and certain things like that. But there is sort of an appetite to, um, of obviously Andrew coming in to, to really understand that and then you know look to progress that. And I think Craig presenting to the commission yesterday and, and taking a fair amount of time and no doubt giving some really personal anecdotes um, is good for building that picture and building that relationship. And then obviously as a coach association, we've got an important role to, to work in the middle of all that as well. Yeah. Uh, just finally, Alistair, is reading um, the uh, Glenn McFarlane's piece on Sam Mitchell and the harrowing tales that he mm. went through in New York. Is, were you active during that period of time? Did, did you keep a, a watching brief on, on what Sam was going through? 
Well, probably more towards the end. And I think everyone, you know, reading that article, the depth, the uh, the depth of or, or what's been gone through was considerable. Um, I, I think with Sam, whenever I think of Sam, I think about just how tough he is, you know, as a player and and as a person. And so um, it's such a, a significant thing. So you look, you know, I spoke to him the other day and, you know, he's raring to go again. Um, I think the Hawthorne were very good with that balance back. And, you know, Sam's come back and felt like his coaches and he's got some experienced coaches underneath him that have done a really good job while he's away. So certainly not what you, you'd like to happen, but, um, you know, I think... Hawthorne and, and how they've sort of responded and, you know, work with Sam, is, he's been positive about that. So, um, yeah, certainly for someone that uh, was very tough in their football days, a, a very scary thing. Yeah, it was every bit of that. Alistair, thanks for your time this morning. I really appreciate it. Fantastic. Thanks, Jared. Nathan, thank you. one three hundred seven three six seven three six to have your say this morning. If we know anything of Craig McRae, it would have been a captivating session with the AFL Commission across 90 minutes and the idea of addressing work-life balances. Colin texts through around the idea that coaches complain. is What we know about McRae is it would have been anything but that. It would have been such a constructive conversation around what it looks like in real life and then how it might be altered, adjusted and bettered whilst still the, the demands of doing the job. The, the, the idea of the charity shield in the pre-season, so is it, I, it's a nice idea. It just seems to run the opposite way. Is that The charity games within our seasons have become brilliant fixtures. Um, uh, Collingwood and Richmond, is that the waste, a waste of an idea? Or if we're going to continue with pre-seasons, it gives, it, it gives us a point on the first Tuesday night that the formal rounds begin. I'm curious as to what you think. 0433 98 11 16 40 Winks Temper Text. Temper a mattress like no other. Your say coming up and Brendan Gale is going to join me before our show is done once the formal announcement is made. This is Waitley for Hyundai. The Hyundai SUV sale event is on now. The concept of a charity shield, Richmond and Collingwood in February annually and the current state of coaching. Craig McRae speaks with the AFL Commission yesterday. Your thoughts, John's in Mill Park on 1300 736 736. John, welcome. Morning, Jared. How are you? Hope you're well. I'm super. Yeah, thanks. I, um, I, I listened to your comment before and took note of the fact that you said that half a dozen years ago the AFL were blaming the coaches for the state of play. I, for one, and I may, I may not be one of many, but I love the fact that there's tactics in our game. Without it, you have a boring game. I mean, that's what they do pre-season for, is to train a game plan that's going to potentially beat the opposition. I mean, it's ridiculous to think that coaches are, are to blame for the state of the, of, the, of the game. When And Gary Lyons, the biggest one that speaks against coaches and assistants, I, I'm totally against the soft cap. I think it's, it's a farcical... Uh, introductory to AFL. I think that if the AFL clubs that are bigger and more powerful and more profitable have the ability to employ more coaches to make and create a game plan that's going to be a winning game plan that's going to win premierships, I don't understand why that can't be the case. I really don't. And it's all about tactics. That's what it is. It's a tactical game. Yeah, and I think the the lever that the league has, and we, we see this around the world, the NBA and the NFL, is that the league has every right to change whatever rules they like to counter the tactics of the game, but why would you stifle the tactics? Um, 
And so th- those projects, is the game is infinitely better now than it was six years ago. I think we spent a lot of time pretending that things were okay when we absolutely knew that they weren't. And the game's in great shape right now, still full of tactics, but they've varied under the way that the, the rules have changed. So it's been an, the, the, the tension between head office and coaches. So at that period of time, there was a straight-out blame game that the coaches were ruining the game. And then there is lingering resentment in the coaching ranks towards the league on the way that the soft cap was cut and essentially all of their earnings, this is not senior coaches, this is every level of coaching is now used as an equalisation tool and so the money is not washed back through. So, yeah, they're, they're interesting tension. Maybe it will always be thus. Maybe there will always be tension between the AFL and its coaches on various fronts. Uh, John, terrific. Thanks. Billy's in Ascot Vale. Welcome, Billy. Yeah, morning, Jared. Yeah, just on Craig McRae, um, Jared, he seems like a very intelligent man. I just wanted your opinion. Do you think when he finishes coaching, is he capable or would he want the role of the CEO of the AFL? <laughs> the CEO? I reckon there'd be too much high finance in it to interest Craig. He's one of the great football thinkers, as a lot of our coaches are, and there's certainly places in the game for them. Um, I think probably the the detail would all be would all be a bit dull on that on the business and finance side of it. But yeah, as I think Craig's going to be a part of the coaching ranks for years and years to come from here, and he's a resource that the game would desperately want to keep hold of whenever his time comes. But, yeah, he's just starting out, Billy, and, and what a journey it's proving for him. Shout-out for the Spirit of Tasmania. Unwind as you wander and set sail with Spirit of Tasmania from $69. Conditions apply. Here's some thoughts around uh, the shape of the preseason. I think I'm in the minority, Jared, but I would like the Ansett Cup knockout or round-robin preseason like we used to have four weeks of matches with the grand final at the end. The, that, so I imagine that that is like um, hoping the Tri-Series returns for some World Series cricket across the summer, something that we, we used to love and cherish, but feels like it's long gone. Ian, the charity match may well work, but I'm with you. Just drop it and play the real stuff. One of the great complaints is that not enough teams play each other twice, and that impacts the competitive integrity. Surely more real games would help. The clubs will more will have more practice matches amongst themselves anyway Jared there's only one way to make the preseason relevant whatever the format let's give the winner one premiership point for the upcoming season that's going to motivate all clubs and add some extra interest throughout the season proper that's Simon in Hobart agree Jared no practice matches start the season the first weekend in March and use a few alternative suburban or even regional venues round one and two 26 rounds in total and no buys so it encourages clubs to utilize their full lists that's from dom i think the pre-season matches are a waste of time as the coach oh hang on i've already read that haven't i uh uh, no, maybe not, Gavin and Aubrey. I think the preseason matches are a waste of time as the coaching is so good now. They should know what they are doing by the first game. I can see, I can only see a preseason comp work, working if we moved to an 18-round season, play each other once plus a rivalry round. So linking a, a couple of ideas there. Uh, as a long-time worker in the not-for-profit space, I'd support wholeheartedly the opportunity to have the AFL promote the work of charities through a pre-season fixture. Clubs taking on a charity each to support would have an enormous impact for the good with volunteers, 
recipients of assistance and staff all feeling the energy of dedicated matches for their benefit to the extent of having a logo on a Guernsey to be absolutely overt in their intent and adopting the charity for the season with a myriad of opportunities to educate the membership base and give great exposure to the works of so many well-intentioned people. Imagine the imagine the Vinnie's Saints versus the Salvos Demons in a one-off pre-season match and how that would lift the spirits of thousands of people and generate dollars. Great concept that didn't need inventing but with the AFL polish could be improved and that was the the power of the all-star match was you'll recall that was for the bushfire toll that had taken place uh, in Victoria or around Australia and all that was raised on that front so some quibbled over the idea of the all-star match but at its heart it had a purpose and a cause and used the the weight of the AFL world to great effect I just feel like is in the season proper, so unless you're doing the exhibition game, uh, in the season proper is where you get the full bang of the exposure throughout the week, the maximum chance to raise, and probably Maddie's vision is, is one of the the four the uh, forerunners for that. But uh, there's a whole lot of those charity matches throughout the year which have become uh, imprinted on the fixture and are cherished by all sorts of supporter groups. Oh four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen one three hundred seven three six seven three six to have your say this Tuesday morning. Lots of contributions on the 40 Winks Temper text. 0433981116. Temper, a mattress like no other. Jared, is it annoying or even a bit obnoxious that Americans honestly believe kangaroos are our pets? We don't ask them if they all have a pet gun at home over there. I think they honestly have no idea the freedom and opportunity that we still possess that they have long been lost of, Marcus. <laughs> so it is... It is it amuses me rather than annoys me. Uh, the cliche is the cliche for a reason. It, it, we get asked about kangaroos the whole time, every year. And Jolie's brought the Sharon over this year, so we planted it on the desk, and it's got the kangaroo on it, kangaroo brand. So we're inviting our own questions. But, yes, to duck onto Chicago Sports Radio today and, and be met by the, the kangaroo introduction, that, that is, that's pretty well how it rolls over here which is a curiosity indeed. Marcus, thank you. 0433 98 11 16 1300 736 736. Brendan Gale, the Chief Executive of Richmond, is going to join us after the formal announcement around the Charity Shield has been made. So that's a little later in the program. Ian Smith to chat to us, but we promised you Australians in Vegas each day to tell their own story and give us their impressions. Our next guest coming up. During our one-week residency in Vegas, we want to tell you Australian stories from this part of the world. We put the call out to you and opened with the quintessential Aussie in Vegas, Colin Funky Miller. Iconic and so beautifully thought of by cricket fans still. Your resources have been great on this front. Wazza. Could it be any more Australian? Wazza sent me this email. G'day, Jared. Brad Sugars is an expat Aussie who has been in Vegas since 2005. He's the co-founder of Action Coach International, 1,200 franchises in 80 countries. He's a really good bloke and loves his sport, has a box on the halfway line at T-Mobile Arena. I play drums with Casey Barnes, and we met and hung out with him while performing at the World Bull Riding Champs a couple of years back and have kept in touch. I think you and Brad would get along famously, and he knows everything there is to know about life in Vegas. God bless Australia. Wazza. 
Wazza, you've hooked us up. This is like a bit of um, speed dating going on here. Brad Sugars, Brad, it's great to have you on SEN in Australia. G'day, mate. How you doing? I'm well. How are you? Oh, look, uh, you know, we, it's unusual. We've got rain this week in Vegas. Did you bring that Melbourne weather with you? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I pulled the shutters back this morning and thought, wow, that's, it's a more beautiful city when the sun's out. Which, which Las Vegas cap have you got on, Brad? Uh, this is the Aviators, the, uh, the AAA baseball team. So we're getting the Oakland A's moving here, and this is their uh, feeder team. So the, the ballpark here is uh, maybe five minutes from my house. So uh, we go and watch wow. the games down there with the kids. I got seats uh, right between the dugouts and the, uh, and the batting and the, the the mound so yeah a lot of fun they have a pool and they have a pool in the outfield so you go and swim and watch the baseball <laughs> i wonder if they'll put that in the new ballpark that they built hey so take me back brad you, you moved to vegas in 2005 what are the circumstances in which you set off on this great adventure i moved first to california and uh it was just the weather i was in northern california for the internet boom and uh the weather and everything. I, I just, and I was coming to Vegas a lot and I found this is, people always ask why Vegas? I'm like, it's the only city in America fun enough for an Aussie to live in. <laughs> did, did, what were your first impressions? So I, I guess there's the, the difference between visiting here and living here. What, what did you mm. know about the idea of living here? You know, I was lucky enough that because of business, I'd traveled here a lot and, you know, personally would travel here a lot from Australia back in the day, but, um, when you get off of the strip, it's just a very normal city with excellent uh, services, I guess, because because it's a hospitality city. Even the local restaurants are phenomenal here sort of thing. So, you know, great. We, we got great schools. I mean, where I live, I'm on the west side of town in Summerlin, which was an area built by the Howard Hughes Corporation. Howard Hughes, when he went crazy, he bought 38,000 acres out here. And now they've spent 20 something years developing this area. And uh, uh, they, they own the actual the Aviators baseball team. It was named yeah. after Howard Hughes, uh, the Aviator. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's a great city. Uh, an hour from here, I can have the boat in the water at the lake. An hour the other way, I can be on Mount Charleston uh, snow skiing, which they're getting a dump right now of great snow. So we'll have the kids up there skiing in the next week or two. So, yeah. That's the incredible contradiction here, Brad. We're, we're in the desert, but you can see the snow-covered peaks. Yeah. Yeah, the, the va- Vegas is a valley. And so that's why this rain, there's going to be like, they're going to worry about flooding and stuff because it is a valley. All the water runs down into the center and then runs out to Lake Mead uh, via, via Lake Las Vegas where the teams are staying. So who lives here, Brad? Is there is there a strong expat community? Is it mostly workers around hospitality and the casino? What's What's community life made up of? Yeah, look, obviously the central hub of the economy is the casino life. Um, In Australia, the Australian families, back when I first moved here, I joined a group of about 600 Aussie families back then. Um, And, you know, entertainment as well. A lot of Aussies in the entertainment business uh, here. And uh, but when you're looking at this city, it's gone through, you know, a lot of different eras. And we're currently in that sports era for the city with F1, Baseball, basketball will be moving here in the next few years, basically. Hockey obviously led the way. I mean, we, we had hockey, ice hockey teams beforehand, but now with the Golden Knights uh, being sort of the golden child of the city's sports, and Vegas loves a winner. So, you know, that's, that's a big part of it. And, 
the city and the state are very willing to invest in, you know, the new stadiums, as in Raiders Stadium. They put up a bunch of the money and the city still owns half of that. So, so you yeah. know, it's a, it's a good money spinner for us. Lots of good concerts coming in through there too. What's kids sport like here? Kids sport is amazing, actually. Uh, and, and if you look at the growth sports, like ice hockey, obviously, with the, the team moving here, that's become the biggest growth sport for kids. Lots of baseball, a um, t- ton of baseball in the city. So once the new stadium comes in, I think that uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes, too, to add to the fray. But the schooling system here with the sports is quite phenomenal. Like Bishop Gorman High School is the number one high school football team in the country and has been so for quite a few years now. Um, the Fatita brothers who own the Stations Casino and sold the UFC uh, Ultimate Fighting, uh, they, their kids went to that school, so they put in a lot of money to build amazing stadiums, the Frank Fatita Senior Stadium. And uh, the, the, they even uh, donated a lot of money to UNLV to build the sporting uh, training facilities there. And that's where I think San Francisco's uh, down there. I remember when the Australian, uh, we had the Olympic uh, pre-trials here and I had to host the Aussie uh, men's and women's basketball teams because it was middle of COVID. And of course they couldn't go anywhere and and, uh, they were supposed to train at UNLV, but the US team said, nope, no one else is allowed in. It's COVID time. (laughs) So I, I got them training at my kid's high school and they walked into the kid's high school and they went, this is not a high school gym. Like every kid had a box rack, you know, it's like millions of dollars worth of stuff. And then at my country club, they're all in the swimming pool. And then the only place they could go out was my house. So, you know, we had barbecues and put them all in the pool. But uh, we, we had to, my wife and I had to keep getting tested to be in the bubble uh, and be allowed to go to the game. So a lot of fun. What a great story. Um, do you miss Australia, Brad, or have you been away long enough that, that uh, it's, it's home elsewhere? Oh, look, you know, this is definitely home. I married a Boston girl, so America's definitely home. Um, But we get back, I mean, pre-COVID, we were back every year at least. We literally only two weeks ago sold our home on Hamilton Island uh, as as final admittance that like, okay, we just don't get back there enough. We got five kids, so traveling anywhere is a a heck of a job. And uh, yeah, but I I miss it because my family and friends are there. I think that's the big thing. But just had a mate come and stay for a couple of weeks, uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas time. So, yeah, we get, we get a lot of visitors here. That's one big advantage of living in this city. There's always someone visiting, whether they're on a bachelor party or whether they're coming for sport <laughs> or whether it's a conference. There's always a, a mate or two coming to visit. Uh, tell us about Action Coach International, the, the genesis and the, and the growth of it. Yeah, mate, I started that. Uh, it's now a 30, almost 31-year-old company. I started in Brisbane, Australia, and... Uh, uh, interestingly enough, Quest Community Newspapers and then uh, uh, Leader Papers down in Melbourne, they put me on stages all across uh, Australia and New Zealand. And nowadays, here we are, we teach business people how to run their business. We teach executive salespeople. Uh, we coach and educate business people all across the world. We're lucky enough to do it in uh, 83 countries, even three communist countries where we teach entrepreneurship. <laughs> so lots, lots of fun. Keeps me busy writing books, teaching seminars. So I just got back from uh, Saudi Arabia, Guyana and Curacao where I was out teaching. Wow. Yeah. Why was, why was the US the right place for you to base yourself? Um, probably three reasons. One is time zone because uh, the Aussie time zone is really tough to work with the rest of the world. 
uh, travel as well. Like I, from Vegas, I've, I've got two direct flights to London every day. So, you know, I can be on that side of the world pretty easy or I can hop over to LA and uh, be in Asia, you know, 14, 16 hours type thing. But um, the, I think the old Frank Sinatra thing of if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. Um, you know, the US is the biggest economy in the world. And if I'm to be a global player, I think that's sort of the, the challenge, you know, if you can win here, you can win anywhere type thing. Yeah, so just just give me an idea of scale and don't be modest here. So 1,200 franchises, what, what, what what's the reach? What's the spread of the company like? Oh, we, we've got about 280,000 customers that we work with around the world. Yeah. Most the, the majority of them are business owners or, or big corporates where we do training inside those companies. Uh, you know, across Australia, we've got about 40 offices across Australia, you know, so... Keeps us real busy, mate. Keeps us well. Keeps my team busy. I, I sort of, yeah. I, I prefer to be busy with the the kids and enjoying life because, you know, this city, um, you, there's never a, like a, if it's a Tuesday night and you decide to go out, you're like, oh, what do we do tonight? It's like, oh, who's who's playing tonight? Oh, we could go and see Bruno Mars. No, I've seen him a couple <laughs> of times. Who else could we go and see? Like, you know, there's seven Cirque du Soleil shows. Yeah, yes. I don't know. Well, I mean, it's it's such a and, and all of the best UFC fights are here. The boxing is here. Like, we're we're just becoming in this sporting renaissance, which was essentially led by MGM when they built uh, T-Mobile Arena. Uh, you know, that was that was such a foresight of of that organization to do that and to invest the money that now it gives us a world class hockey and basketball stadium sort of thing. So what will so we're going tomorrow night uh, to mm-hmm. to see the Golden Knights. What are we in for? They probably I've I've had a bunch of mates come with me and they've never they've all sort of looked at it and gone I've never seen anything like this. It's a show. It, the sports is there, but it is a show. The announcers, the in in scene announcers, all of that stuff. There, it's just phenomenal. But also you're up for possibly one of the hardest sports that you'll ever see played. I mean, you, you're talking about. You know, they, they, they shoot these things at 100 mile an hour. They, they, you know, to be a goalie in that, I think you've got to be absolutely crazy. Um, but that's what my 10-year-old son plays goalie for his team. So it's like, dang, you know. Uh, but that's, that's <laughs> the thing. It's, it's a real show. Get there early, experience outside, um, you know, the whole the arena area out front with all the restaurants and bars and everything. It's, it's quite phenomenal. But you also see just a real world-class facility they've got there. The way they've structured it with all the bars and restaurants inside and the, the nightclub up on the top level, the fifth level hide lounge sort of thing. That's, it's just crazy just how well they've, they do it. But, you know, you can go to a hockey game anywhere in the world and I've had a lot of Canadians come down and they go, this isn't hockey like we see back home. This is like, it's yeah. a show. And uh, the DJ is on, everything just goes phenomenal. So... Yeah, we, we do love that fact. Even the Raiders football, you know, people come and they say it's just not it's just not like this back home. It's very different in that way. What's your favorite night out in Vegas? Oh, probably fight night. Fight night yeah, is right. usually the best night in town. Um, you know, Formula One was phenomenal. Uh, the problem with Formula One here, though, they didn't have the supporting races. They didn't have F2, F3. They didn't have, like, the Porsche Cup or any of that stuff. And I'm not sure they will in future. Just obviously we'll see what see what happens. They've got nine more years to perfect it, I guess, and stuff. But, yeah, UFC, UFC fight night, 
um, the big the big fights when Floyd was fighting. Um, yeah, fight night, I guess, is probably one of the biggest nights. You'll go out for dinner and, uh, and, and go and watch all the fights. And we have a suite at T-Mobile, so we go and uh, hang out right there. And, but then concerts, you know, buddy, we got so many great concerts too in this town. And um, there's one event every year, uh, which is a two-day event, uh, which uh, they put on, I think it's like 14 or 15 bands in there. And, you know, that's, that's also another great one. But, yeah, not too much can beat fight night in this city. Okay. And I reckon one of the great tests is are you happy to have your kids grow up in this town? And clearly oh, yeah. you are so ensconced in the community. Yeah, but look, and interestingly enough, it's, it's a phenomenally charitable city, like the, the level of charity in this city. In fact, in May, I can, I'm working with the, the Irwins are coming here and uh, uh, we're doing the um, Steve Irwin gala here in Vegas at Bellagio. Right. So, you know, it's, it's a phenomenal city and the families here... The one great thing about this city from a family perspective is everybody's moved here, so everyone wants to make friends. You know when you go to a city where everyone's got their click, like they all grew up there sort of thing? This city, there's a lot of people moving here, so everyone wants to get to know new people and, and get to meet people. I think, yeah, I think that's an important aspect of it. Do, do the locals stray to the casinos at all, Brad? Would we find so we're, we're interested in playing craps, just by the way? But would we yep. would we see you around a craps table every now and then? Mate, you, you will see locals at local casinos. I mean, when you look at the stations casino, the one that's five minutes from a house here, Red Rock Casino, that was a billion dollar facility. So you know, the, the, there's a million dollar chandelier hanging in the in the front foyer type thing. So we have that all around the valley type thing. So rarely right. will we ever get to the strip and rarely does a west sider go to the east side like Henderson on the other side of town. <laughs> the, nick the nickname is Hendertucky because, you know, we, we always think of it that way. But um, so rarely do you cross that strip unless you need to sort of thing. Like I remember we on the opening night uh, of U2 at the Sphere, we went to that and it was like, hang on, that's on the other side of the strip. We really need to plan this sort of thing. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, but, yeah, look, uh, I think that a lot of locals, I mean, there's obviously a lot of professionals uh, in the gaming space here, but once you get too good at it, i got a buddy of mine who can't go into any casino and gamble. Um, he's, he's too good. He beat them all and, and he got, okay, he can play in tournaments uh, and stuff, but I, I never play with him anymore because it's like, dude, I know what's, I know the outcome of playing cards with you. The outcome is I'm done. But most of the locals will go to the local casinos and and take advantage of the um, benefits of being a member and doing their gaming there. Brad, as was or was right, we would get along famously. It's lovely to meet you. <laughs> Thank you very much for sharing an Australian expat story here in Vegas with us. Mate, it's wonderful to be with you guys and look forward to seeing Super Bowl down uh, here in the Strip and uh, seeing you guys telecasted across Aussie. Good on you. Thanks, Brad. Brad Sugars, uh, who's been here since 2005. That's his story and that of his family, what it's like to live in Vegas as an expat Aussie. Terrific stuff. 0433 98 11 16, 1300 736 736. Melbourne's weather, partly cloudy, a top of 20. This summer, be prepared for extreme weather and sign up for the SMS outage alerts at unitedenergy.com.au slash notify.
Made it, ladies and gentlemen. It is officially Super Bowl week. The climb to the top of the mountain for 32 NFL teams started months and months and months ago. And now, just six days away from crowning a new or back-to-back -back NFL champion, we are nothing short of elated, excited, and baffled by the people that say they're not pumped up about the Niners taking on the Chiefs with Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, in his second year being favored by one and a half against Patrick Mahomes, the Kansas City Chiefs, who have been there, done that, and are in the middle of a dynastic run. It is a great time to be alive. We can't thank you enough for allowing us to do this every single day. Pat McAfee, his launch today, setting Super Bowl week on its way. His stage is just over to our right here at Radio Row. Can you pick the WWE influence as it creeps further into Pat McAfee's shtick? He, in all fairness, he was a bit more lively than Wayne Newton, who was trotted out at the official press conferences, Mr. Las Vegas, and more weekend at Bernie scene I couldn't imagine some of your thoughts it sounds like you're talking to Greg Norman very similar voice so that must be how the Australian accent morphs when you spend long enough in the US and definitely American now using bachelor party instead of bucks night uh, a few of your thoughts on our on a plethora of topics this morning so on the uh, on your Vegas stories my wife Dora and I went to the Vegas Knights in a pre-season game at T-Mobile we left during the third period to go and watch the 2019 AFL Grand Final with a heap of expats at an Irish pub, which I still regret because the hockey was much better than the AFL that night. You'll love it. Have a great night, Sean and Tani. Thank you, Sean. In 1996, I was in Vegas to visit my sister, who was recently married. I was a backpacker, so didn't have a lot of funds. I picked a hotel to stay at, El Mirador, off, off the Strip for a seven-day stay. The owner could not understand nor believe that someone wanted to stay for more than an hour. <laughs> Very good, Anthony. Uh, much, to say, uh, much to my sister's and my absolute delight and humour, the, uh, the obese bedridden owner from the back office room asked me to not only sign a form to stay a week, he also made me read this out loud like an oath so he and his partner could hear and agree to my stay. My sister and I often talk and act out this great memory. Long live the El Mirador. <laughs> Anthony's in Kyneton. So that, that's a bit like a scene from Wonka. Uh, Nathan in Torquay. I went to Vegas on my honeymoon and was lucky enough to end up on stage with David Copperfield. I was asked boxes or briefs. And what colour? And sure enough, all the correct answers up in that box. Next thing I knew, I was bear-hugging a pillar. And the curtain came down, felt like a little shake, and looked up, and the Cadillac was above my head. He shook my hand as I left the stage, and it made my trip. Still no idea how it happened so far, so fast. Nathan, the same trick is being performed nightly. I, that's, I know exactly your role in it. And David Copperfield is doing the same trick and the same shtick right to this very day, however long that was ago. And somebody else texted through that they ended up on stage as well. And what you get is you get a signed photo from David Copperfield for your involvement in the show. Very Vegasy, 
I've seen Copperfield, and now I've seen Wayne Newton. I feel like I've lived the whole experience, and we're only a few days in. Uh, 0433 98 11 16, your thoughts around AFL pre-seasons and one-day internationals. I'll share those with you as we go as well. Here's Nathan in the newsroom. Nathan, thank you. Oh, that's a nasty little run chase for Victoria at the Junction Oval. Uh, now four, four for 65, needing 92 runs to win. Callaway and, Hamps and Hanscom are the two men in on eight and two not out, respectively. So Crone, the last man out for five, and Todd Murphy, the night watchman, was dismissed. So Callaway and Hanscom in what is, oh, that can get really nervy. Four for 65, 92 runs to win against South Australia. Uh, the history lesson in just how intertwined sports gambling and sport has been here in Vegas and not to sports advantage until now. Um, fascinating history, which we'll share with you next. This is Waitley for Hyundai. The Hyundai SUV sale event is on now. The Golden Knights start to celebrate on their bench. The silver trophy to the Golden Knights. Stanley Cup winners, the Las Vegas Golden Knights. Pioneers, really, for professional sport in this town. The boasts this week around being a sporting capital. They owe a great debt of that gratitude to that ice hockey franchise. One man who knows the town, the sport, and the team especially well is Adam Hill, veteran sports columnist, senior Golden Knights writer for the Las Vegas Review Journal. Adam, it's lovely to meet you. Welcome to SEN. You too, and uh, I, have, I have been to Australia. Uh, uh, yes. Uh, one time, I came to the uh, the Ronda Rousey Holly Holm fight, uh, which was one of the great sports experiences I've ever uh, covered. So that was that was cool. So uh, thanks for having me on. That was that was in Melbourne. Yes. Wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. At yeah. Uh, Marvel Stadium, Etihad sure. Stadium, which and it was yeah. wild in there, just crazy, <laughs> and then dead silent. Yes. You know, that was when Ronda Rousey was indestructible. Yep. Nobody could touch her, and uh, she gets knocked out. And it was it went from just absolute chaos to just dead silence. Like what just happened? Yeah. And it was a very cool thing to cover. So it was cool. How much of this week owes a debt of gratitude to the to the Golden Knights? I mean, a little bit. Certainly the Golden Knights paved the way to show that sports was possible uh, in, in Las Vegas. But really, this week was made possible by sports betting. And, and it's not because the Las Vegas has sports betting. It's that everybody does now. And there was, for so long, this stigma. Ah, it's a sports betting place. You bet on sports. You can't go there. And then all of a sudden, the rest of the country opened up to sports betting and then you couldn't say that anymore because you can't say we're not going to las vegas you'd have to say we're not going to new york or pennsylvania or you know michigan or all these other places that have sports betting now so that kind of eased the way and then of course money is everything and uh once the nfl and other sports organizations realize they can make money off sports betting and being part of those companies they were all all in board all aboard so i think that's the biggest thing but certainly the knights did show the nfl and in other sports, Major League Baseball now as well, that, hey, Las Vegas is a real city. It's not just the strip. It's not just glitz and glamour. There's people here. There's a community. And this works for them. How problematic, how, how treacherous had Las Vegas been for sporting ambitions through the generations? So I can tell you, I'll, I'll say with the NFL in particular, because first of all, the leagues were just so scared of, of what, you know, Sin City and, yep. and that, which, look, as somebody who grew up here, it's not that. It can be. But you can find trouble anywhere, right? So they were so scared of that. But, you know, there was a time when the NFL was so freaked out about Las Vegas and sports betting. You know, uh, NBC, you know, one of the major networks, had a show called Las Vegas. It was a fictional show, a drama, one of the great shows ever. I love, I love, I love that show. But NBC 
broadcasted the Super Bowl, they weren't allowed to promo one of their major shows called Las Vegas. That's how scared the league was of just being any way associated with Las Vegas. And now, I mean, you look around, like this is a sports capital. It, it's crazy how far this has come so quickly. And, uh, and I mean, it, it's great to be a part of it for sure. I never expected uh, that the walls would come down not only at all, but I thought it would be a very long process. And really, as you mentioned, the Golden Knights come in. They're successful. They sell out every game. They're one of the best teams in the league. Every other, every other sport says, oh, this works. And now everybody's coming here. So this is the desert. Why, why did it take ice hockey to crack through? It's funny. It is, it is funny. I mean, it was, just, it was somebody that was going to take a chance. And we always thought it would be the NBA. We thought the NFL was never going to happen. That was just not even part of the discussion. But the NBA, this is a basketball town. Um, UNLV, the, the college here, was one of the most prominent basketball programs uh, throughout the 80s and the early 90s. Uh, basketball is in the blood here. So everybody assumed it would be the NBA. But there was a, a guy named Bill Foley who wanted to bring a hockey team into the NHL. He wanted to do it in Las Vegas. And he made that happen. And there was a couple other prominent business people that were part of that as well. And they had the vision. They believed they could make it happen. And really, there was a, a, an era when the casinos didn't want it. And if the casinos don't want it, it's not happening. Like, that's bottom line. I mean, you, you're around here. You look around. Everything is centered on these casinos. That's where everybody works. It's such a hub. We've expanded the economy, but we're casino-based. And the casinos didn't want sports because they don't want people coming to town and leaving the casino. Everything was built for a long time for you to come here, go into the hotel, stay in the casino, and never leave. Yeah. And that was the business model. But MGM, to their credit, and Mandalay Bay is part of their, uh, their corporate umbrella uh, where we are right now, MGM said, you know what, let's build an arena on our property. So it's, the arena is over you know, behind New York, New York, uh, behind Park MGM. It's part of their kind of campus. So they said, well, we can have people go to these events and then come right back into the casino. This could work. And so the casinos loosening up was also a big part of that to say, it's okay for people to leave the property for a couple hours. Yes. They're going to come back. Like, they're not going to leave and never return. So that was a big part of that as well. So the proximity of that stadium is, is genius. Yeah. Why do you think it worked? Well, there's a lot of reasons. First, it is a very, it's a very sports-hungry place. And we've seen, like, one came in and now they're all, they're all aboard, yeah. no question. And there was, there was a, a desire for the community to rally around something, and, and they got that. And, and as awful as it is to say and, and to point out, they were – I'm careful about the wording here – but the timing of the, of the tragedy on the Strip, the shooting that happened, really was beneficial to them. And, and like, please understand when I say that. Like, nobody wanted that to happen, obviously. It was the worst thing that's ever happened uh, in this town. But for those that don't know how that timeline worked, the Golden Knights' first ever home game was six days after that. And so this was a community that was badly in need of healing. And this hockey team that comes in has success right away. And the community was like, oh. Like, we have something, and, and we can bond over this. And one of the most famous moments in, in Las Vegas sports history was that first home game. One of the players on the team, uh, he was a veteran player, the captain of the team, Derek England, got up uh, on the microphone as the game was about to start. And they had the national anthem. They had all the, you know, pomp and circumstance. And then he took the microphone and spoke to the crowd. And he said, look, I don't know what to say. Like, we're just a hockey team. There's nothing we can do to change what happened, but we just hope to show you guys, you know, there, there's something here that we can, you know, be a part of and, and all kind of do this together and let's heal together. And that speech is, is so memorable because of when it happened, when it took place, and then the success that they had. I mean, 
I think it, it's easy to say, hey, they bought it over a hockey team. But they bought it over a successful hockey team. And yep. I don't know if that would have happened if, if, if that wasn't the case, but it was a perfect storm, really, for everything to come together. And once that happened, uh, it, was, it was all you know, full steam ahead for sports in Las Vegas. So how cherished are the titles? So the Stanley Cup and then the, the Aces back-to-back oh. -back in the WNBA? I mean, it, it's huge, especially you know, the Stanley Cup. The, the famous story is when, when Bill Foley started the team. He promised to win a cup in the first six years. Yeah. And people said, what an idiot. <laughs> you don't just take an expansion team and go win a Stanley Cup. And they won in year six. It was exactly what he said. Now, they made the Stanley Cup final in year one. Uh, but they, they didn't do it. And, and to see a, a victory parade, a championship parade on the strip um, was just a, such a memorable moment. So it was such a cool thing to be a part of. And sometimes, you know, as a journalist, you're – you're kind of looking at it from a different eye. You're, you're cynical. I'm a very cynical person and um, all that. But there are times when you just stop and say, that, that was cool. And, and that was a very cool moment, certainly. And the Aces had their, uh, their two championships as well. And not to diminish what they did. I mean, they're probably going to win another one. They're the, best, they're the best team in the league for sure. Uh, but there was just something about how important. Because the Aces moved here. Um, they're, you know, as, as good as they are, as tight as they are to the community, they moved here. And, and the Golden Knights were born here, which, you know, their, their theme, their, you know, the thing they rally around is Vegas born. And, uh, and that's kind of what they, what they pitched. So I think that was a different kind of feeling when they won. So what's the feeling around the Raiders who have come to town? and then Who? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I mean, I cover, I cover the Raiders. I cover the Golden Knights uh, when the Raiders season is over usually. And um, so I, I was around them. It's. There's, there's excitement because of the coaching change. A lot of people wanted Antonio Pierce, the new coach, to be the coach, and people are, are fired up for that. But they haven't had that moment yet, right? They haven't had success. They made it to the playoffs one year, but they really weren't that good. They kind of snuck in with some kind of fluky uh, plays at, at end of games. They weren't, they weren't that good team. When they get good, I guess I should say if they get good, but when they get good, it's going to be a massive Raiders town. Everybody will jump on board. One thing I know from growing up here, like this town is about winning. Yeah, um, I don't like that as sports fans. I, you know, I'm, I've I come, you know, before I moved here, came from places where there's long suffering fans of, <laughs> yes. of bad teams, um, and I there's something bonding to me about that. That's not the case here. It, like it, you've got to win, and and so when they win, it's going to be you know kids everywhere is going to be wearing you know jerseys and clothes, and kids that are very young are are Raiders fans because that's what they know. Uh, but most people here already had their favorite team. They're yeah. already their allegiances. So they're, they're slow to come around. But when they are good, everybody's going to jump on the bandwagon. How, how good is the stadium as a, as a centerpiece to, to want to go oh. to the stadium, never mind the, maybe the team? Yeah, uh, very cool. And, and, and the, they have the best uh, facility for practice, and you know, people want to come, come to see that. And uh, obviously the stadium is uh, a very cool, very cool experience. Um, and just the proximity, as, as we were talking about the Golden Knights being right on the Strip, the stadium's right across from the Strip. I mean, we're here at Mandalay Bay in the Convention Center. We can walk. Uh, I think you can't now because of the way the Super Bowl setup yeah, is. Yeah. They've got the, the bridge crossed. You know, they've got the bridge closed down. But uh, for most games, people party here at Mandalay Bay in the morning and walk over, and um, you see just the mass of people kind of crossing over. So uh, the location, the proximity to the Strip, uh, the fact that it's in Vegas, we're getting all these major events. I'm very disappointed. Uh, that the World Cup final will not be here in uh, 2026. That's what I was hoping that uh, would happen. But it's the, actually the, um, the size of the stadium isn't ideal for a soccer okay. setup. Uh, but if it was, I think we'd probably have that game as well. Um, we're getting everything here, and it's, it's because of that. The, the you know, Final Four in college basketball is going to be here. Uh, the Super Bowl, obviously a massive event. But, yeah, the stadium has kind of changed everything. Everything can come here now. So we're staying at Tropicana, which is about to be leveled for the ballpark. Sure. So well, baseball. It's going to be leveled. Yeah. I don't know if it's for a ballpark. There's a lot of, there's a lot of pieces still to figure okay. out. We still haven't seen a design right. of a stadium. 
We, we don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know what it's going to be. Um, we, they've never built a retractable roof stadium in a, in a space that small before. So somebody's got to design that, and now it sounds like they're not even going to try retractable. They're going to try a dome. Still too small for a dome. I don't know what's going to happen with the stadium. But, yes, to your point, not to sidetrack you, but that is where it's supposed to go if it ever happens. Right. And the NBA? <laughs> Done deal. Have they missed the boat? Or? Done deal. Right. It's coming. When? Well, I, I do think – I think they wanted to do it sooner. Um, they probably wanted to already announce it maybe a year or two ago. Uh, I believe, and this is just complete speculation, I'm not reporting anything yeah. here to you. I'm just uh, from moving pieces behind uh, the scenes. LeBron James wants to own the Las Vegas franchise. Well, that can't happen while he's playing. So there's nothing that they can announce. So I think Las Vegas and Seattle will get teams. Uh, they're going to be the next two in the, in the market, I believe. And I think they're going to wait to to kind of figure those logistics out before they announce anything. But the NBA is going to be in Las Vegas. And here's a crazy thing that I threw out the other day, and I don't think it's that crazy. I think the NBA might be here before baseball is. Right. Even though baseball has already announced it, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the NBA might be here first. Yeah. So this will be the complete sporting town yeah. sooner rather than later. Yeah. Uh, there, there's no question. I mean, I believe it is already. Um, now, that's not the case. We don't have all four sports yet, so it's tough to say that. But everything wants to come here. If you, if you announce a sporting event somewhere in America – you're most likely going to at least inquire if Las Vegas is available. Uh, that, that's going to happen. And so, yeah, like, you know, World Cup Finals going to New York, other events go to L.A. Like, there's places. New Orleans is very cool. Miami is very cool. But I think if you're saying, I want to host a major sporting event in, in America, you're going to look at Las Vegas first. So in the history that you've just recounted to us, and it is meteoric, the yeah. way, how big is it this week to have a Super Bowl here? You know what? I – I'm hesitant to even answer that question because it's it's so big <laughs> that it's it's tough to even grasp. Yep. And like we're in we're in the middle of this firestorm, and so to me it's it's massive. It's huge. We've been preparing for this for years, uh, but it's it's tough to even you know. First, you have to realize it's actually happening. Like this is real. It's not some you know thing on paper that we've been planning and thinking about and talking about. It's here and it, it's happening. And this is my seventh Super Bowl, seventh Radio Row. Um, I expect it by Wednesday, Thursday to be the most massive Radio Row event, the most massive Super Bowl. Obviously, the tickets are insanely expensive for people. Um, I, I just think it's going to be this huge, huge week. Now, we're not going to experience much of it as media people because it's all happening around us yeah. everywhere, and we're here kind of in the belly of the beast, kind of sheltered a little bit from it. But all around town, it's just going to be uh, complete chaos, and it's going to be wild. I saw you know, a bunch of restaurants are just opening temporary locations for the week. You know, some of the most famous restaurants in America – we're going to open a, a you know a real pop up restaurant just for this week, just because it's so big and the, everybody is here, every celebrity, every every athlete, everyone. So in future, a trip to Vegas will include multiple sporting events as well as your music and it as can. well as your magic. Yeah, if you <laughs> first of all, I hope we're not associated with magic much longer. <laughs> People love the you know the old magicians. I like went to David Copperfield here. first night because I uh, thought, well, this might be the most Vegasy thing I can think of. Well, that's a 1990s Vegas thing, I think. <laughs> No, I mean, he's great. And we have some, you know, outstanding performers, obviously, around. Uh, but, um, you know, that that's what we were. You know, the shows and the strip, and, and we still are. But I think us expanding as a community, us expanding in what we offer uh, is is really what has made Las Vegas great over the years. It's figuring out that next element for, you know, went from the magicians and the shows to we're the top club destination in the world. Every nightclub was here. Every major DJ in the world was here. Then it went to we're a restaurant town. 
Every great restaurant's here. Every great chef opens their place here. We're, we're a food-based town, and now we're a sports-based town. Like, we evolve so well here in Las Vegas. I think that's what has made this place so cool. It's why I love it so much, why I never want to leave here. And yeah. it's cool, you know, and, and as a sports media professional, when I was first coming up, when I came out of college, I said, where do you want to move to? Where do you want to go so you, you can pursue your career? And I didn't want to leave, so it was kind of a tough choice for me. What's happened is that everything's come here. So I've been able to evolve my career without even leaving, uh, which has been very cool for me uh, in this business. But, um, yeah, we're just continuing to take that next step. And to your point, if you want to come here and see, you know, three, four sporting events, you can do it. Um, I, I think people will still find ways to, you know, just go out and, and gamble and party and do whatever they're going to do. But whenever you want to slide away to a sporting event, they're available. We have, I believe it's 11 sporting venues of at least 9,000. Wow, yeah. So arenas, um, stadiums, all of that. I think we have 11 in town right now, which is crazy, and they're all busy. It's nuts. Adam, that is a great history lesson for us. Thanks for sharing it with us, the flavor of Las Vegas and Super Bowl week. Uh, You're a good man. Of course, thank you. Adam Hill from the Las Vegas Review-Journal. Adam Hill with that fascinating history lesson on the evolution of Vegas as a sporting town. There's a stack of messages to share with you on that front. Richmond and Collingwood have just announced the charity shield. Brendan Gale, the Tigers' chief executive, is going to join me. So a clever idea. I just wonder if it's wasted in the pre-season. It will certainly give some focus to a game in February, which will start the formal round of the uh, of the pre-season. Well, it's not a competition anymore. Is it just the pre-season matches? So you've got thoughts on that as well. We work through them and Smithy's about to join us. He's back at the cricket in New Zealand. We pinched Magic Round from the NRL, rebranded at Gather Round. It was a sterling success. We've nicked the Charity Shield as well, which has long been the start of the NRL's pre-season competitions. A real marker that things are underway and that's going to be Richmond and Collingwood in February. Um, the, the trend of the pre-seasons, what it is, where it's going. So it's now got something formal to start it. Uh, bring back AFLX. It'd make me laugh. 206, good on you. Sam, no practice matches, please. These guys played footy before. You need match fitness. And that's what the pre-season matches are for. Uh, so a few of your thoughts. Brendan Gale is going to join me on the program Uh, a little later in this hour. Cricket, Victoria are making heavy weather of a tricky chase. Uh, They've lost a fifth wicket. Pete Hanscom, who is captaining that team, has been bowled. So five for 79, needing 78 to win at the Junction Oval. So just gone halfway and lost half the wickets. They used two night watchmen, Joel is telling me. So uh, we'll see. We'll see over the next hour or so. England lost to India last night. India's margin of victory, 106 runs. They bowled England out for 292. Transfixed by what's happening between India and England and morbidly fascinated by what's happening between New Zealand and South Africa, which we know is one of one of these moments in the evolution of the, the purest form of the game. New Zealand, 511. South Africa, 7 for 129. Uh, Ian Smith's on duty. He's calling the game. God, he's not only the best cricket commentator in the world, he's a glutton for it. Smithy, welcome back. <laughs> yeah, I'm certainly a glutton for it, Jared, but I'm a jealous <laughs> glutton because I think if I had an option and they said, where would you rather be, where, where Waitley is or where you are, even though Mount Monganui is one of the most beautiful uh, cities in New Zealand and uh, we're getting great weather, I'll swap you when you're ready. Um, so but I'm watching a, a very a very predictable test match, as, as you quite rightly pointed out there. I think everyone in the world knew that New Zealand would dominate this test match in this series, and they've certainly done that. Now, there's, uh, 
a moment of consternation when they lost Evan Conway on the first morning, uh, second ball of the second over, and everyone thought, well, this could be different. Um, but by the end of the day, we were thinking, no, it's not going to be. The revelation, of course, has been uh, the double hundred from Rachin Ravindra, which has been celebrated over here and lauded, and quite rightly so as well. But there's always a tempering of the fact, Jared, as you well know, um, you know, you, you get runs against uh, South Africa's top side, you, you're worthy of, of uh, a lot of credit. You get you get runs against this following attack, um, then you, you've just got to temper it a wee bit and say there's bigger, there's bigger fish to swallow uh, in about a month's time. So we know that those first four days of the New Zealand-Australia test is sold out. We were together when that came through. What, what has the attitude towards this test match been, given, and it's totally outside of New Zealand's control? Well, the interesting thing uh, about this test match is that uh, New Zealand have picked three guys that can bowl spin, and we don't do that in this country. I mean, we, we don't basically prepare conditions or pitches ever um, to, uh, to bring spin into play. Now, whether that's a signal, whether that is a fact that New Zealand might consider um, bowling spin against Australia as opposed to taking them on in the quick bowling area, I do not know. But certainly it's a clear indication because uh, Ravindra is bowled just before lunch. Uh, Santa's bowled an extended spell, and they've still got Glenn Phillips, who's a part-time off-spinner, but working very hard at his craft, uh, to come. So they've got variation there. And whether that is a sign um, that, that perhaps instead of bowling line and length and seam and swing against touring sides, which we've done since day one, uh, whether against Australia we fear that approach and spin might be better. So our combined spin is against Nathan Lyon when it comes to the crunch. But, uh, Jared, it's been... It's been decades since two spinners have operated at the same time in New Zealand in the first innings of a test match. I, I, I can't remember it. Yeah. D- does it make the follow-on maybe more practical than it usually is with so many spinners? So what are they, 56 overs in and South Africa's seven down? Do you anticipate the follow-on? Well, look, we're 388 in front, I think, at this stage. I mean, there's absolutely no reason to think you wouldn't follow on. I mean, in the old days, of course, it would be automatic, but now the game has changed as it has in a lot of areas, and the possibility of New Zealand batting again for three hours, still two two days to bowl the South African B line-up out, and you, you would assume that they would be able to do that in that time. The forecast is pretty good. So uh, there's, there's that way to go about it. Um, or they could, uh, the other way we were talking about, is to, to enforce a follow-on, try and finish it today or early tomorrow morning on the fourth day and you have that extra day off in between test matches. So, uh, look, it, it's, it's a, they'll be talking about it now. I mean, they're just sitting down for lunch uh, during the break here and, and they'll be mulling that over. Energy levels are a big thing um, and they've, they've basically got their best uh, seam attack playing in this. That is the Salvi henry Jamison combination. Um, they might not want to burn them. They might want to pace them through. Uh, they've got both options up their sleeve. Right now... Uh, I would enforce a follow-on. I don't think they will. What have you been able to glean of the South African lineup? I mean, they they know, don't they? So I wonder how, how are they negotiating it as, you know, they're thrust forwards, it's their moment in test cricket, they're hellish underdogs, and, and here they are probably suffering the fate that was imagined. Well, they've got an opportunity, haven't they, to, to put their name in lights and to say to the selectors back home, when you get serious about test cricket again, I, I want to be part of it. As yet, we haven't really seen uh, anyone that's done that, although Neil Brant, their captain, did get a six-wicket haul. He's a, 
he's an honest spinner. Uh, I wouldn't say he's a um, world test spinner at this stage, but he's an honest spinner. Uh, handy batter that never got going. Captain side with the resources, I thought, pretty well, actually. Uh, even though the number of 511 in the first inning sort of belies that, that statement. But I, I thought he looked to be quite a handy cricketer and quite a mature cricketer. Um, I, look, I, that's what it is for me. That, that is the carrot for them. It's for someone to get 100. Uh, you know, maybe someone to get 100 in both tests and say to those South African selectors, look, as I say, when you really start to get serious about test cricket, uh, I could be one of the, one of your front-line players. That, that's their incentive. Uh, at this stage, I mean, they're just going down the side of a wall uh, with their fingernails at the moment, getting skinnier yeah. and skinnier, trying to hold on. Uh, and I think that we picked that from the outset when, when we realised what they were um, having to be forced into bringing over. Kane Williamson's 29th Test Century. Um, what, what was the, the wave of, I don't know, sentiment and acclaim like, not for this innings, but for what he's built so broadly over, what's this, Test number 96? It's his 30th, actually, Jared, which, is, um, uh-huh. which makes it so, so much special uh, from our point of view because, of course, he goes past the, the great Sir Donald. And for it to think... Uh, that a New Zealand batsman uh, would ever do that uh, was like your dreaming Jonesy sort of stuff. It was just, we, we were never going to produce someone who would be able to get into the 30s and test hundreds. And I, I, this, this is an amazing young man, and he still is a relatively young man uh, by test match. He, if he stays fit, mentally he's very, very strong. Uh, we saw that because he was far from at his best during the sunning. He was far from it. He had to battle through a lot of stages. In fact, at times he got so frustrated, I thought I was watching Steve Smith bat with all the gesticulations <laughs> going on. It was, it was like that. And, and you know, uh, I, uh, but I admire him. I admire him greatly. And I think he's got the possibility of getting another four or five. I mean, he's got five in the last 14 months or something. Uh, so uh, who knows? Uh, and if uh, sides continue to put test match uh, teams on the park, which are depleted because of the advent of T20 cricket or what have you, uh, then the really classy batsmen are going to continue to cash in and build up their numbers. Williamson could end up in the mid-30s, the late-30s with hundreds if he desires. Um, and uh, I, I just thought, I, I felt really reassured to, to watch him. And good signs for what's coming up against Australia because he will be number one on their hit list, the Australian bowling attack, and he looks like he's getting towards uh, some reasonable form. So that, that's really the reasoning behind it for us, is how is New Zealand shaping up uh, for the matches against Australia? What, what's your read with, uh, with a month to go? Long batting line-up. I mean, we've got Mitchell Santner at number eight in this test match. So I think what, what we're seeing there is a clue. New Zealand will stack the batting because they'll be very wary and respectful of the kind of firepower Australia will bring. Uh, I'm assuming, Jared, on the basis of uh, you and I both were there when uh, the West Indies knocked them over, um, they'll be a very hungry test side coming to New Zealand. Test World Test Championship points are up for grabs. And to my way of thinking, they'll be bringing their number one side. I, I haven't heard any rumours you may well have of Stark or Hazelwood or, or perhaps Cummins himself taking a breather. I don't know why they would do that, but the possibility is always there. Um, but I'm thinking Australia will be very serious about these two test matches and they'll be bringing numero uno in, in terms of their side. So... Uh, that is that is what I'm hoping, and that's what New Zealand public has sold out grounds for already uh, on the basis uh, it's uh, the best of, in the world uh, and New Zealand trying to challenge them.
Yeah, I'm no doubt that the team you saw is going to be the team there. The question is how vulnerable is that team? And you're the best judge for us. You, you're the independent eyes that just saw it and telling the New Zealand public really what, what to expect from Australia. What, what final assessment did you make of where Australia is? Well, I look at the batting side of things and I see you know, a terrific side on paper. I really do. But we're, we're looking at two players in key positions who are trying to assume new roles in the side. Now, Steve Smith, of course, in that second innings, nearly, well, he did bat through. He couldn't quite get Australia home. But that was a pretty responsible Steve Smith type innings. And, you know, I, I thought he played pretty well. And I don't think Open is going to be an issue for him. But New Zealand will enjoy bowling to him with a new ball in New Zealand conditions. They really will. Because uh, that's what you want when you. When you've got a, a, a top-class player like a Steve Smith, you want to get him in early when your energy levels are high and the ball is hard and new. And you're going to do that by him being an opening batsman. I'm not convinced. I've got to say this. I've watched Cameron Green, and I think he's a terrific cricket. I really do, and he's a great athlete. But is he a world-class number four? No, he's not at this stage. He might turn out to be. So there's a vulnerability there. And, and then, of course, Travis, Travis Head is a bit of a feast or famine batsman because, of course, he can get 100 one week and he can get a king pair the next week. So yeah. there, there, is, there is a vulnerability, uh, I think, that New Zealand can expose if they're at their best, and, and they're going to have to be. But, uh, uh, look, this is a top-draw Australian side. They'll, they'll, whatever conditions we provide in terms of bowling, they will exploit beautifully. Um, if we, if we want to take them on in a spin department, which uh, is starting to become a possibility... Um, you've got the goat. I mean, the greatest off spinner perhaps in the history of the game. So uh, we we would be fearing that uh, in days three and four, uh, the, the Nathan Lyon factor. So And Travis Head, of course, can bowl uh, pretty handy stuff as well. Uh, look, I, I, I think Australia come here as the favourites on world rankings they do. Um, and it's evened up by a little bit of the fact that New Zealand do play some pretty damn good cricket at home. So, well... <laughs> At, the, at this point, I'm I'm so looking forward to it. I um, mean, the numbers of the tickets, and they'll go very quickly in Christchurch as well. Uh, they won't be massive crowds because our capacities aren't of that nature, but they'll they'll, they'll heave with atmosphere, and uh, it's going to be an enjoyable couple of test matches. I, I promise you that. And I, I, as I say, Australia noses in front and hurting, stinging, which won't do New Zealand too many favours after what happened at the Gabba. Yeah, great insights. Smithy, I really appreciate it. I know you're in the middle of duties. Thanks a lot. Cheers, Jared. Enjoy the Vegas. <laughs> Good on you. Ian Smith there. He's at Mount Monganui, South Africa 7 for 129 in reply to New Zealand's 511. And the bigger picture conversation is how New Zealand shape up for the Test Series against Australia. Two tests that start in March. It's a very settled New Zealand lineup with plenty of experience and familiar names. Latham and Conway at the top. Williamson, Ravindra, just off his double century. Mitchell, Blundell, Phillips, Santner, Jamison, Henry and Southie. So Southie against Smith at the, the top of the order. We already know how New Zealand tried to play Smith previously on these shores. They, they didn't stack up in Australia, but they'll be far more formidable at home in those conditions. Uh, and really, these are, are tune-up test matches for them. South Africa crippled by their, their domestic T20 competition, which has been a phenomenal success for them. It's hard to resent South African cricket, its chance to make money there, but they failed test cricket 
badly with what they've sent to New Zealand. And it's sort of fingers crossed that these aren't too embarrassing because they do hurt the longest form of the game. one 736 736 and 0433-98-11-16. Ian Smith's cold analysis is right, is it's not... It's not a world-class batter at number four in Cam Green. We understand the reasons why that choice has been taken. And Australia has absolutely doubled down as the top six in order is going to be the top six for these two test matches. The all-rounder is plugged in at four. Green is not quite ready for that. He's a vital cog in Australia's test cricket future. But four has got to be a bankable position um, that's got to average more than 30. So it really, really interesting uh, I think what's about to unfold in New Zealand. While we've been chatting, the, the Australian 15-man squad has been named for the T20 games in New Zealand. So there's white ball cricket before the two test matches, which, in my opinion, is such a pity that there aren't going to be three test matches and don't worry about the white ball cricket. It's a team that will go under Mitch Marsh. He'll be the captain. Pat Cummins has been named in that squad. Keep in mind, this is a year where it's a T20 World Cup in the middle of the year played in the West Indies and here in America. So Pat Cummins, Tim David, who they're still working on as the specialist T20 player, Nathan Ellis, Josh Hayeswood, Travis Head, Josh Inglis, Glenn Maxwell, Matt Short. Got that hamstring injury just right now. Keeps him out of this afternoon's game. Steve Smith, Mitchell Stark, Marcus Stoinis, still part of the T20 squad, Matty Wade. Dave Warner and Adam Zampa. So the frontline attack is there. I wonder whether we'll start to get a bit of a, a look at the strategy for the T20 World Cup. But that's the first glance at a 15-man squad that does include Matthew Wade. Imagine if he got back to it, the T20 World Cup. He, he thought he was he thought he was well done. He's since captained the nation in that form of the game. So that's a 15-man squad that's just been revealed. Victoria needs 69 runs to win now. So five for 88. Campbell Kellaway and uh, John O'Murlo are doing their thing. James has got a close eye on this. Would love Kellaway and Merlo to get the Vicks through. I'm hearing you there, James. It's a really significant innings for Campbell Kellaway and his development. So he's 19 from 64 balls as Victoria are trying to claim this victory against South Australia. Have your say. Brendan Gale coming up on the program. one 736 The 40 Winks temper text is 0433981116. Get your unique bed match profile and find the right bed for you. 40 Winks, serious about sleep. Melbourne's weather, partly cloudy at top of 21. This summer, be prepared for extreme weather and sign up for the SMS outage alerts at unitedenergy.com.au slash notify. Three slips waiting in anticipation as Boomer is in. Bowls. Hartley loses his off stump. Jasper Bumra has finished the test match in style. And England have been bowled out for 292. India win by 106 runs to square the series. The mouth-watering prospect of three test matches still to come. It is mouth-watering. Neil Manthorpe there, the sports tour coverage. We're in partnership there. It's all on the SEN app. Uh, it shapes us as good a series as there's been in many a year. Uh, England won the first test 
shots in thrilling style. India hit back hard. And there, there was merit in England's 292 in the fourth innings, but they never really threatened. And Jasper Bumrah, who will uh, provide the signature moments with the sump, stumps splayed, again finished the deed that way. So 292 all out in the fourth innings. Uh, here was Ben Stokes. As to, it, was, it was a mammoth chase of 399 and how he thought his batters would go about it. No, there's no, there's no suggestion whatsoever about how to go out and play. It's go out and play how you, how you best feel um, at a given time. You know, we know that we knew the task ahead. Uh, we knew we had to get 330 runs today, and everyone in that dressing room there is, is a quality player, um, and they are good enough to be able to go out there, assess the, the sort of the conditions or the situation, um, and also assess how they're feeling and how they best feel to go about getting those runs. They went at 4.2 and over in that inning, so still scoring at a, at a good clip, but not quite at the rapid rate uh, that sometimes they have. Some of your cricket thoughts. I think Cam Green is about to shine. It will just click. Confidence and belonging issues. Australia should be taking the New Zealand series very seriously. The two cricket paupers, Pakistan and the West Indies, were in winning positions against us with every resource available. It wouldn't be a huge upset if New Zealand won. Matt from Hunters Hill can't wait for the New Zealand Test Series. What a shame there are only two tests. I'd be happy for at least four, if not five, matches in that series. That's Gavin from Albury. The, you can hear every ball of New Zealand and South Africa. It's live on the SEN app and across the SENZ network. So Ian Smith and Jeremy Coney lead that team. So our commitment to test cricket really doubles down with New Zealand and South Africa. All five tests of the series between India and England, plus the one day of this afternoon in Canberra. Just listening to Nathan, I did get the forecast up, the um, radar up for Canberra. It's going to be okay. So I'd be surprised if that got interrupted just by the look of what I was seeing. So hopefully there to start on time uh, in, in two and a bit hours' time. You search for the meaning in it for the individuals involved. Uh, McDermott gets called up. We're short with a little hamstring injury. And Damian Fleming with Adam White uh, and the team to take you through that as the day unfolds. There's some terrific uh, Vegas stories that you've been sending through and uh, responses to Adam Hill. So, hi, Jared, Lifelong Raiders fan. Grew up in Tassie. Work as a curator in Melbourne. But I have a goal to one day work a season at the Raiders Stadium. Is the stadium here, Mick, is set up that the grass slides out of the stadium to sit on the outside to bask in the sun, which was the same as the setup in Phoenix last year. And all sorts of things went wrong with that grass. It was slippery and, and totally unsatisfactory for the showpiece event that it was. So Vegas, uh, it, it goes under the auspices of the NFL and, and they're under siege after last year's Super Bowl for the grass malfunction. So grown the same way here. The field's already painted up. We'll get our first look tonight when we uh, when we go across for opening night. Las Vegas shows that Gold Coast can be a sports city in the years to come. Mozza from Cobden is drawing the comparison there. Um, it's, Gold Coast not quite Vegas, but can it be a sporting town with its characteristics i'm flying out to vegas tomorrow can't wait seeing you two on mon on friday night that's from adam 
Will the baseball stadium in Vegas be enclosed and air-conditioned? Because I've been there in summer and there's no way I would be going to a baseball game if the venue was not enclosed. Oh, that was really interesting what Adam was saying. So originally it was going to be a retractable roof, but there's no design for it. So maybe now a dome. So Michael, I think it's safe to say that it will have some sort of covering on it for the very reason that you're identifying. And Ryan in West Footscray, a Las Vegas NBA team would be huge. Can we open up the lines to possible names for the team? I like the sound of Las Vegas Rush, as in gold. Ryan, I can pass your thoughts into the, the local commentariat here and see if you can get any traction with it. 0433 98 11 16. Brendan Gale coming up on the program with the charity shield announced between Richmond and Collingwood. Here's Nathan in the newsroom. Nathan, thank you. So Alan is in Canberra. So on the ground reporting. Weather in Canberra is fine. Sun is out and the humidity is high. It rained all day and night yesterday. So the outfield might be very wet, but the game should be okay. Alan, thank you for sending that through. Um, a little bit of cynicism around the idea of the Charity Shield. The Charity Shield is an English soccer game versus the EPL winner and the FA Cup winner. It's an actual trophy to win. A pre-season game with a charity attached is still a pre-season game. That is Glenn from Diamond Creek. Kelly texts through, whilst a charity match sounds good, is it double dipping? The big clubs have many opportunities during the season to highlight and support many charity institutions, and they do. I predict a team of players that are mainly playing VFL and very little contact or hard gut running. Athletes are entertaining when they are playing at their absolute premium. Anything else is just a poor form of entertainment. Uh, on the Victorian chase, hang on, where are we here? So 56 to win, 5 for 101. Good partnership between Callaway and Merlot. Uh, correspondent says Nick Maddinson turned down the easiest of singles on the last ball of day three, then gets dismissed first ball today when he shouldn't have been on strike. Cricket karma is a weird and wonderful thing. <laughs> yes, it is. On the prospect of Gil McLaughlin being the next chairman of Racing Victoria, David, surely the VRC, MVRC and MRC need to accede their power to Gil McLaughlin to revitalise Victorian racing to make it number one in Australia again. That, that'll be sort of the tension point around it. Anthony in Q points out that Gil's owned plenty of horses with some of the key administrators. I don't think making changes will be as difficult as you might think. Vegas, I oh know this one. Uh, the problem with the ODIs is the big bash. The ODI tri triangular one-day series used to be 12 games, Friday, Sunday, Tuesday for a month. I reckon the Big Bash has cut its grass been on every night in prime time on free to air. That that's exactly it. That's why we'll never have a return to the days of old that has been replaced as the Triangular series, which was so much fun growing up, has been replaced by the Big Bash, which is so much fun to the younger generation. Brendan Gale coming up, the notion of the charity shield, how's it landed and what are your reactions to it? This is Waitley for Hyundai. The Hyundai SUV sale event is on now. The pre-season match between Richmond and Collingwood set down for Tuesday night, February 27 at Icon Park has been given a sense of purpose as the inaugural charity shields. Brendan Gale is the chief executive of the Tigers, fresh from the announcement. Brendan, great to have you on the program. Welcome. Yeah, my pleasure. Good to be with you, Jared. What's the nub of the idea here? 
Oh, look, it's uh, well, well, well. Firstly, it's uh, it's about playing a you know quality um, pre-season hit out um, against a quality opposition who, who are the reigning premiers. But look, it's it's an idea and a shamely borrowed from the EPL, where they have the charity shield or charity cup every year. We just felt um, you know, Collingwood and Richmond, a, a storied history, were the two closest neighbours in this fiercely competitive competition of the AFL. We're separated by a street, Victoria Street, uh, but we our histories go back. You know, well over 100 years, it's, it's a shared history and essentially we're cut from the same cloth. And that is, we're very much part of the community and and of service to the community. We're national brands now, but that is part of our DNA. So we thought to, to you know, come up with this uh, this charity shield game to shine a light on, a, on an important issue and, and raise awareness and funds um, and growing this game and maybe taking it nationally is an idea worth pursuing. So we've partnered with Food Bank, Food Bank is a really important organisation delivering, you know, to meals in a cost of living crisis. So it's, it gives us, as you say, a game with a purpose. It's a, it's a clever idea, Brennan. Don't take this question um, as an insult, but is it wasted in the preseason? Uh, I, I don't know, uh, Jerry. But look, I think the first thing we're going to do is prove the concept. Um, and the, you know, the, uh, so we think reigning premiers, Collingwood, Richmond, two big support bases. We want people to turn up. We want people to turn up and support the idea. And watch two teams go at it, but also, as you say, play a game with a purpose. So, look, I think the idea is is to prove the concept, to get the support, to build some momentum, and. And maybe, Jura, down the track, it's something we could take in the pre-season on the road. We could take it to Western Sydney. We could take it to Tasmania. We could take it to, to Queensland. Who knows? Um, but I think we need to prove the concept and build some momentum first. Have you struck an actual shield? <laughs> I thought you might ask that. No, we don't. <laughs> we, we, we haven't. It's, it's the idea. Um, and like, you know, we just, it was one of those silly thought bubbles. We, you know, we socialised with Collingwood and it just seemed like the perfect match, giving our shared, our shared history and, um, you know, two big support bases. And, um, but, um, you know, we, we, we're clubs, Jared, as, as much as fans won't like to say it, we cut from the same cloth. If you go back to our origins and, you know, we're born in struggle and, the, you know, the war through wars and depressions, we've been very much there for our community and, and we think um, our community will be there to support this idea. Do, do you sort of fancy selling out Icon to get things underway in February? Um, I'm not sure. I'm really excited uh, about the prospect. I mean, clearly Collingwood had you know, record-breaking crowds last year. They are the reigning premiers. They're a massive club. Um, yeah, we've got a new coach. It's a new era. There's some excitement. Um, the sentiment's good around our club, and uh, I think we're going to surprise a few people this year. But I think the sentiment is really good, Jared. I mean, now that the tennis is gone, and um, there's a real appetite for football. So I think there's a the chance of a really strong turn-up. There's an appetite to see Richmond, I reckon. So I guess we got our first insights. Mick Gleeson wrote the piece in The Age and uh, Adam Uze tipped his hand on a few things. Dusty returning to the midfield and Bolter going forward and um, Shay is going to be a, a Cyril-type forward. I'm so curious, how does it work with you? How, how do you learn these things throughout a preseason? Do, does he run them by you or do you peek out the window and go, oh, all right, well, some things are a bit yeah. different here? Well, I'm... I'm... I guess I'm a naturally optimistic person. I think you have to be, Jared. But but I think the one thing that's really become increasingly apparent is just the excitement and the energy from the from the coach. I mean, I mean, really, we've known one coach, and that's Damien. 
And um, and but but I, I, I you know we've got a coach who's obviously very capable, but he's missed out on a couple of opportunities before, and he's got his opportunity at Richmond, and I can see the energy and the enthusiasm, and with the capability and experience, it's a potent mix, and it's it's infectious. You know, I'm really feeling it as well. So, um, um, you know, we've got a lot of good players still. We, we've had a look at youth in the last couple of years. Um, we need a bit of luck. We need some key players on the park playing. You know, I think we'll surprise a few people. Do, do you like the sound of some of the specifics? Dusty in the mid-bolter forward and, and Shea as a Cyril type? Uh, I do. I do. Um, um, we had a look at Noah a little bit last year up forward. He's such a powerful athlete, and um, you know, I think you know, putting Dusty where the action is. I mean, we we probably spent the last year in our back half, to be honest. So, um, so yeah, putting Dusty where the action is, and he's such a dominant centre square player as well. Um, you know, I like it, and I, I think the players like it as well. Did, did you have to approve the camel going up just above the race there? <laughs> I've only been back two weeks. Um, I yeah. had a good break. I had four or five weeks, and I, I still don't, don't quite understand the purpose of the camel. <laughs> um, um, so uh, I think it's about stoicism and about uh, you know working hard, about grease, and uh, by all accounts, are quite a remarkable animal of uh, a camel. But uh, I have to make some more inquiries. <laughs> I'd rather go away for the weekend. And, you know, what have the kids done when you get back home? Yeah, uh, well, stories are important, and uh, every preseason, every every season has its own story, and and there's a story there somewhere. I just need to dig a bit more. It's very good. Um, you probably heard Tom Lynch getting asked this question. So, is is he unlikely for round one uh, for uh, for opening round? I've got to get my language right. Is he unlikely for opening round? Uh, I, I wouldn't be ruling him out. Um, I think he's okay. made enormous progress the last month. Um, and uh, in fact, you might recall Jared in 18, I think he started training fully a week a week and a half out from round one. So yeah. we put a line through him weeks weeks prior for round one 2019. Um, he, he played round one. I think he kicked the goal with his first kick. So so he's, he's incredibly durable when he's got an ability to make up ground quickly. So I wouldn't be ruling Tom Lynch out at this stage. And just one bigger picture one, Brendan, as you've got a, a new coaching staff coming together, is, as we learned that Craig McRae addressed the AFL Commission yesterday as the, the reigning premiership coach, and he spoke about uh, the work-life balance. And he's so thoughtful. I mean, you know him. He's so thoughtful around um, the way yeah. he would have presented that. Have you got... Uh, have you got thoughts around that as as a new coaching group comes together on your watch? I do, and I, I think you know. I think there's a, probably a strong sense of alignment between um, you know how we feel. I guess you know from almost from a philosophical point of view, and the coaches coming in. I mean, I think you know you need to put the person at the heart of performance, and uh, and you need a holistic approach. Um, and part of that is about balance and about getting your head out of football and you know working hard and and, and when you're here, but taking those opportunities, develop yourself personally, and and uh, so that's a big deal. This is a this is a, a an unrelenting high pressure business, um, and so we need you know to retain that sense of balance um, and and you know putting the person at the heart of performance. And you know, just a quick story. Um, in 2016, we had a pretty ordinary year, 
in 2017 were premiers. But from 16 to 17, we didn't work harder. We actually took two and a half hours out of the program a week. Um, mm. We worked smarter. We gave the opportunities more, uh, sorry, the players more time to, you know, develop other parts of their life, etc. So uh, you're preaching to the converted there. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Brendan, great to catch up. Good luck with the preparations and we'll, we'll see the team on the night of February 27th. Strike a shield. We haven't had a good shield since the we Herald will. Shield with the schoolboys comp. It'll be, it'll be nice. And Jared, for every, every dollar we receive, we're able to provide two milks to someone in need. So every dollar is two milks. So um, in, in a cost of living crisis, when families are struggling to put a meal on the table, we'd love two big tribes to come along and support this. It'd be wonderful. Yeah. That's the purpose Thank of you. it. Brendan, terrific. Brendan Gale, the Chief Executive of Richmond there. So the ticketing details as they've been released, there's a members pre-sale that will commence at 10am Tuesday, February 6th. Uh, you will need your membership barcode to upgrade your ticket. Members will be emailed their barcode. Click here for the members pre-sale. All oh, right, right, so this has been copy and pasted. Sorry. <laughs> I'm I'm trying to marry my dates up. So the members pre-sale is active now, and you'll have been sent details on that. The general public sale will begin at 2 p.m. today. Uh, that's, uh, yeah, so you'll be able to follow the links on the website. Um, yeah, the so the Amy Community Series match, Richmond and Collingwood at Icon Park, Tuesday, February 27, the inaugural charity shield. You need a shield to hand out at the end. Um, very good. So Brendan Gale there. We'll tidy up and touch base with, uh, with Dwayne. Set you up for Midday Madness next.